Food is a lot like fixing cars in some ways. Like you just have a creativity, custom vehicle work. You can put culinary work in that. If you think about how you approach uh, a vehicle, what repair you're going to do, whether you've done it a million times or done it one time, you look for ways to make things better, mostly for you, but you're still getting the job done. If you put that in the culinary mindset, you're trying to make a dish that seems great to you and seems great to the customer. And you're getting your job done because the customer likes it. They're happy with, with what you did for them. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting, thought-provoking episode of the Jaded Mechanic Podcast. My name's Jeff, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than 20 years of skin knuckles and tool debt, I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. So pour yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer and get ready for some great conversation. With me tonight is a really good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Jonathan Vernier. Jonathan and I have been friends on Facebook for a really, really long time. One of the uh, uh, originators of the people that got me into Facebook on the groups, talking shit to people. And uh, here we are now because like all that talking shit got me my own podcast. So Jonathan, how are you, buddy? Not too bad, man. How about you? Uh, I'm, I'm living life, man. I'm, I'm doing well. It's hot up here today. Like... We, we've had a couple cooler days, but the last three hours now, we've got that mugginess coming back in. And then, you know, I can say this, the, the forest fires thing or whatever's going on in Quebec that everybody was so mad at me about seems to have subsided. Uh, the skies are pretty clear. Are you? Can you see that where you are? Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. I mean, the, the uh, not last week, the week before. Uh, one entire day, it looked like it was just foggy out the whole day. I mean, you could smell it, you could feel it in your in your lungs. It was terrible. And you're in Iowa. Yes. So yeah. of course you got Iowa humidity and heat mixing with that at ninety degrees and ninety percent. It was yeah. a great time. Thanks. I have to because it's weird. Like I want to say probably two weeks ago, the skies around here were a little hazy, but it wasn't like as bad as what some of the people like stateside. We're, we're messing like New York got it really bad, right? Like New York was, you know, they couldn't see the bridge and they're, they're just all mad at us. And I mean, I get it, you know, it's whatever, but New Yorkers are always mad. It's very true. <laughs> Shout out to Bill Marino. But I mean, yeah, it was, people were messing me like, what, what are you doing up there? And I'm like, first of all, that's Quebec. I'm in Ontario. Like I can't, I can't just. You know, have I been to Quebec before? Oh yeah, I spent all kinds of time there. Do we click? No, they're very different people for me. So, but uh, tell us what is Iowa like? Well, it was uh, hot as balls last week. It was probably late uh, high nineties, low one hundreds without humidity mm -hmm. all week last week. Yeah, and that was pretty fun. We're in mid-80s this week. It's been raining all day today. Yeah. That's kind of helped. But yeah. that's pretty much summer in Iowa right there. And then pretty soon we'll uh, skip fall and hop right into ice and snow and 40 yeah. below wind chills. And it's a great time. <laughs> Where are you working right now, John? I'm actually working for Mercedes. 
Oh, okay. Just started there in April. Yeah, because you you and I have kind of had similar. I don't want to say you did a stint at Chrysler for quite a while, right? Uh, about two and a half years, but that was over ten years ago. Yeah, because so you and I always used to talk about similar vintages, right? That we'd always worked on the same kind Back of like the Daimler yeah. days and yeah, yeah, all that fun stuff. So we had a 2006 caravan in the shop today. Actually, it's been there all day, all all week, because we're trying to find a tip for it, right? Because uh, of course, 2006, it needs a, it's probably should have had three by now in my count. But <laughs> the thing that it's there's no it's rot, right? There's no there's no body left. Like somebody's done a creative job with the duct tape to hold the doors together, and you can't. And I'm just looking at this thing, you know. Oil pans leaking, upper intakes leaking, valve covers leaking, check engine lights on for misfires, oil pressure sensors bad. Like, and I'm just like, can we fix this or what? Like, I mean, you know, this is one I can make time on. Like, used to do those in my sleep, but. Oh, and, look, uh, it's a minivan. <laughs> pretty much. How do you find, so how do you find Mercedes? They actually found you, uh, are you part of Wrenchway at all? So I watched Jay's. Some of his TikTok content and some of his videos once in a while. Like he Wrenchway, they've got their own podcast too, Jay Ginnan in. Okay. I watch it once in a while, but I don't follow follow. You know what I mean? In terms of like I'm not up to date. You would know more way more about what's going on with them than than I would. I was I was I don't even know how I got into it, but I was a part of that since its inception. Okay. Like and so I was working for an independent shop up until August essentially of last year and I got let go from there and I went five weeks without a full-time job. I had a part-time job at a restaurant and so I was pulling as many hours out of there as I could. I, inevitably, I ended up going back to the Ford dealership I was at and uh, during that time, Wrenchway had a reverse application sort okay. of deal. So you put your what you're looking for out there and stuff like that money, you know, shop hours, this, that whatsoever, you know, what you're looking for in a shop, uh, you're anonymous completely. And then shops will come at you and say, you know, this is the boxes I can check. Can we meet up for this? And Mercedes popped up Chrysler dealership. I had worked at popped up, but I, I was not really feeling that. And I was like, you know what, this might be something to try. And so I went and had an interview. I mean, and I went there on a Saturday and talked to the service manager. I was there for two and a half hours and more or less yeah. we were just bullshit. And it, the, the more I thought about it, it's like, yes, it's something different. It's not totally different because it's not out of my wheelhouse. I have worked at Mercedes vehicles before, right. but as much shit as I had going on in the past almost year now, it's like maybe something different is what I need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted it is an hour drive, from where I live and stuff like that. But if it's, if it's fitting for me and I'm making the right kind of money, then that's, that's what I need to do. So I, I, I took that and I, I haven't looked back. I mean, I've only been there since April and I absolutely love it. Yeah. I know. Cause when, when I first talked to you a few months ago and you said you were there, I was really surprised because I mean, I guess I kind of always had you pegged for it and maybe that's wrong to say. Cause I mean, once we reach a certain level in this industry, I think it, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, it's We're all assholes, yes. And and <laughs> you can, right, like I was gonna say, like I would have had you pegged for more as a domestic guy, but I mean, because 
but I'm starting to learn more people don't despise zero as much as I do. Right. Like uh-huh. I just flat out refuse to work on them. I don't want to, I don't like it. Uh, I don't like the customers. I don't like the customers. Kind of, kind of hush on that because it's not very politically correct, but I don't like the customers. So I don't want to work on the cars. <laughs> I get but it. You've been at Ford a while too, right? Yep. Yep. I have yeah. essentially all together accumulated about eight years, nine years with Ford. One one class away from senior master. Wow. How'd you get into this? What was because you said like you you'd done a you had a restaurant job, but I think you'd done that in the past too, right? Like a restaurant. Yeah, I had restaurant work and stuff like that. I I had been at that restaurant. I I left there when I came here because an hour drive. I just I I don't have the time, and it just wouldn't be money ahead for me or worthwhile yeah. to them for me to only be there for two hours per se. Yeah, you know, and uh, but I had been there essentially since 2019, so. Mm-hmm. I had been there for quite a while part yeah. of, as a part-time job and stuff like that. So, but culinary, ironically, I was actually going to go to school for culinary before I started changing oil at a BP station. Here we are almost yeah. 20 years later. <laughs> I, I, I joke in, cause for me, culinary is like such a difference from fixing cars, right? You can actually be creative. You know, you can kind of deviate from the plan. That's what was always appealing to me. But I'm just the way I'm wired too. I've, I've joked and people said like the first time that somebody tried to send something back to the kitchen, I'd lose my, I'd lose my mind, right? Like I'd be like a Gordon Ramsay, like you know, because <laughs> I just I Guilty. think like, yeah, you know what I mean? Because it's just sometimes people want to be that way, and uh, or they really don't know how it's supposed to taste, and it doesn't taste like what they're used to, and they think there's something wrong with it. I wouldn't, I don't have the patience to handle that kind of stuff, especially on culinary. And I would take it to be more sensitive, right? It's different when somebody says, uh, well, my car is still not fixed and you can explain why it's still not fixed. It's still not fixed because you didn't want X, Y, and Z fixed. You only wanted X and Y fixed, right? Uh-huh. But when it's culinary, I would take that to be much, I would, it would hurt my feelings more because I would be creating something and I would be like really, I don't want to say really trying, but I'd be creating. I'd, I'd be putting myself out there, right? Versus just fixing a car. You're not really emotionally putting yourself out there. I, I guess maybe some people do. I don't. It's just, you know, fixing the car. But so why? Food is, uh, food is a lot like fixing cars in some ways. Like yeah. you just have a creativity, like, mm-hmm. uh, like custom vehicle work. I mean, you can you know, put culinary work in that. I mean, obviously that's far out of both of our wheelhouses, but, um, yeah, if you, if you think about like how you approach uh, a vehicle, what repair you're going to do, whether you've done it a million times or done it one time, you look Mm -hmm. for ways to make things better. Yeah. I mean, mostly for you, but you're still getting the job done. If you put that in the culinary mindset, you're trying to make a dish that, that seems great to you and seems great to the customer. Yeah. You know, and you're getting your job done because the customer likes it. They're happy with their, with what you did for them. Yeah. So how did you start out? Like you said, you started out at a, at a BP station changing oil. Mm -hmm. How long ago was that? That was the summer between my, uh, junior and senior year. So that would have been 2004. Wow. Yeah. You're a bit younger than me. Yeah. Yep. 
<laughs> I don't look it. I know that. It's, it's probably oh, the no. hair. That's not <laughs> Listen, mine's almost, this is just, I'm not cutting it because there'll be nothing. There'll be a landing strip right down the center of my forehead if I cut it off. I get it. I get it. There's yeah. still some here. I mean, I've, of course, I have to hit everywhere here, but yeah. th you'd think the padding would help around here. But no. So when you took that job, you weren't thinking that that was going to be a career. You were just like taking a job and you probably were going to go into culinary. Yep. Did you? I was. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Did it. So what steer? I was just going to ask you, what steered you to that? Did you have a knack for it or did you just like. You know, because we talk how you'll see some guys and it's like, oh, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed the cars or I really enjoyed, you know, driving the Mustangs around as an example, right? Like, or performance cars or whatever, right? If they were coming in. did Why did you make that change? Did it just seem like you had a knack or? Uh, essentially, I mean, I took it just as another part-time job. I did a school to work program. So I was working for an electrical company over that summer and stuff. And then I was going to do the school to work program and spend half my day working there. And then more money, might as well go work this part-time job, you know, from four to seven, you know, nothing crazy. And then on Saturdays, I help change oil and stuff like that. And just kind of snowballed into, you know, I went to do summer help at Vermeer Manufacturing. I don't know if you've seen the implement, like tree excavators and stuff like that. Yeah. Big yep. yellow machines. Yeah. They are based here in Pella. Okay. So I went to do a summer program after I graduated with them and I was in the fleet shop because I had automotive experience and stuff like that, essentially. And after that, uh, the Ford dealership was hiring a lube tech and I went there and I was just going to take a year off and uh, I've taken almost 20 years off now. <laughs> I can tell goes, you in the blink of an eye I, here I am it goes fast doesn't it when I think That's... about it even when I when I think about it seems like only like a couple of years ago and I was on you know just starting to, to hang out on Facebook and, and talk to people and meet people like yourself and you know we mentioned Bill and all that kind of crew uh -huh. and then I something popped up on my feed the other day and I was looking at it again on my old profile it was eight years ago, right? One of those posts in one of the groups, and that was like eight years. It's probably been almost a solid ten years that we've known each other. Yeah, it goes so it just it goes so fast because I mean, it and you know, I I've I've said it all before, right? Like if it wasn't for those groups and the and the friendships you make in that, I don't think a lot of us, not just myself, but I think a lot of us maybe would have. Not, washed out isn't the right word, but we would have maybe transitioned into something else, right? Because it's just, there was such a need, I think, back then <laughs> to to just be able to vent more about the frustrations or get help on, on navigating a repair or, you know, like I'm sure you've had it too, where people, you know, DM message you about, hey, I got a, I got a Dakota in my bay and it's got, you know, this fault. And uh, I've tried this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, you can walk them through it because, like, I've worked on millions of Dakotas, right? And I've, I've seen that quote, and you can kind of, you know, where to look. That kind of camaraderie of being able to just, but it wasn't just about fixing the car, right? It's like talking about, you know, the difficulties we've all had in, in the industry. And then even, you know, the personal stuff outside of the industry, right? The, the relationships and, and ups and downs and, you know, life just never stops. And I'm, 
I'm thankful for that, that, that I had that opportunity. And, you know, we, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of people that, you know, didn't get it, what it was all about or, or, you know, and some people still don't, but I'm, I'm thankful for those, those connections. Right. I think it, it really, I know if it, I hadn't met the connections that I'd made, I wouldn't still be doing this. I'd be doing something completely different. What that would be, I don't know, but it, I would have. I would have gone a completely different path because, you know, it was, it was tough. I was trying to, I was trying to make the dealership environment better. And then I was trying to make the independent shop experience better. And I realized that like, I wasn't making it better by always bitching about it or talking about it or in the sense that it changed the industry, but it made it better for me that I could realize that I'm, other people are going through the same thing. Right. And, and I could survive it. It gave me, it gave me resolve to go in and do it tomorrow because it's like, oh, I'm I'm dealing with this problem, but you know, I talked to Jonathan, he's got a way worse job waiting for him than I do, so we can't all, right? He's working on a six liter tomorrow, like I don't have to do that, like, you know. <laughs> oh, I'll take six liters all day, that's for sure. Oh, you you can have them. I we hardly see any of them anymore. See, they're they're all rotted away, like. Even even the six fours are almost all gone up here. Like they're just they're rotten, gone. See so. way more six four or six liters than I do six fours. I mean, six fours are a dime a dozen. I mean, not, that's not even the right wording. I see one out of yeah, six liters are a dime a dozen. Six fours. I've I've worked on two in the last probably four years. But weren't they from the from the standpoint of the, a lot of guys at the dealer one? When they broke, they were like pretty much terminal breakage, right? Like they weren't, people didn't fix them. Essentially. I mean, it's, it's the six liter except worse. Yeah. And like people still dump money in those things sometimes though. It's ridiculous. Well, I mean, I can understand if you're going to dump money in a six liter because like it's kind of been established now what you have to do to them to make them reliable work right and that the aftermarket support has gotten there right there's some lucas loves the freaking things the six seven i think is is a better engine but it it's it's in a more expensive truck right if you're looking at the market of people are going to do right like you know a six liters what 20 years old for a lot of people they can afford that truck the six seven could still be a forty fifty thousand dollar truck right and the way the market is today it's Absolutely insane. Absolutely yeah. you, insane what some of these trucks give out. So when you're at Mercedes, do you miss working on trucks? <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I miss swinging the hammer, but yeah. I mean, like uh, right now, they've, we have a Ford Flex and 11 with 160,000 miles they sold. And okay. plume and smoke out the exhaust. Mike probably needs turbos. I didn't look at it. And, yeah. and so now all of a sudden... This week, shop foreman comes up. He's like, so uh, what's it going to take to put those turbos in that flex? I was like, God. <laughs> and so here I am, got the turbos out, and I'm waiting on more parts that it needs, and I won't yeah. see them till the end of the week, so I'm down a bay. Yeah. I'm like, thanks, Ford. That makes me feel right at home. <laughs> what is, well, I was trying to think of what... Oh, we had something last week too, and it was the same thing. Um, 
Ford has gotten really bad on, on parts availability. Like, it, it's ridiculous. And it's, I'm trying to think, what the heck was it? It's like a strut or something, like a shock, and it was it was just dumb. And you're like, how can you not have this? Like, strut oh, for yeah. an Explorer or an Edge pay, possibly? Yeah, might have been something like that. Because <clears throat> yeah. the strut mounts are probably making noise, and you're probably going to want to get the whole assembly. And that's been made of unobtainium for, like, four years. I just... I don't know what what the solution is really for that. I mean, we've we've hired a couple new people in the last month at our shop, and one guy he's he had worked at a at a recycling yard, a wrecking yard. So he's actually uh, reminded us that sometimes that's not a bad option to get some parts, right? Because traditionally at our shop we try to stay away from it because we got burned a lot with the quality, right? And you don't necessarily always want to attract that customer, right? That wants a used part, but I mean. You'll try and find a tip them for a 2006 caravan in 223. It isn't happening. They don't have one, right? And like the guy said, well, I think dealer trade on them a thousand dollars. And I'm like, this van's not worth like 400 bucks, right? Like you wouldn't put an OE. I mean, you should probably put an OE one because the backstory is so we get the tip them because it, it's an intermittent no start. So we trace it down, pull it Shocker. Shocker, right? Flip the tip over it's full of green goo coming out the bottom of it right there's your connector right full of corrosion cool pins are break off you know how that goes you've been there so we're like okay so we get we get a used tip them they ship it over like okay 100 bucks for the used tip them we figure out we'll mark it up to whatever he goes and puts that tip them in it's not even an intermittent no start it's it's dead dead like it's totally dead he takes the other one back off and it's five minute swap right plugs it all back in comes back to your life okay not a, so we don't know how long we're going to go before they can get us another one. Like that was Monday that we went through that. Today, sorry, that was Tuesday morning. As of today, they still hadn't sent us another one. So I think they've got to go to the yard and try and find it. But I'm just like, I'm thinking like, these are $900 and, and they're obsolete. Like to me, it just seems like yesterday I was putting in like three of them a week and there was all kinds of them available and well, like, so... You know, I didn't change. I didn't change as many of them as people did. I I always seemed to, it just ended up being connection issues, right? Those connectors on the bottom of them were just one of the worst designs ever. But wouldn't that uh, wouldn't that be the uh, uh, wouldn't be a tip of if it was at 06. It would have been a front control module. Well, so the way I always called it was the front control was the chrome little box with the four screws that went through into the. So, yes, front control module, fuse box, but, yeah. And just because totally integrated module was when it was totally integrated, right? Like, you couldn't. Right. Couldn't that, that whole, yeah, that whole thing was inside the fuse block. Yeah. At that point. But, so, <laughs> still junk. Uh, they never really fixed this change of design five times. But I just laugh now because it's like, you know, I can remember that seemed like yesterday when when we were going down that road and fighting those things all the time. And I mean, it wasn't really fighting. You got to know that you made good money on it because you had a good one out your toolbox all the time, right? Like you always had one good one on the bench that you knew, okay, the wipers don't work, but everything else works, right? You just plugged it in and hang, there you go, driving clock around. springs. You always kept yeah. the clock spring on your toolbox because you're doing yeah. at least two a day. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I miss... I joke, but I mean, I miss those, those simple, simple vehicles. And back then they didn't, 
like we didn't think they were simple, right? I guess what I'm trying to say is everybody thought like a 1995 was simple. And then in 2005, that was really complex. Now in 2023, uh, like I look at this van and I'm just like, you know, (laughs) no wonder I'm like so stupid because (laughs) I relate to so much what's going on to this. And it's like my learning curve stopped there. I never saw the point to go past. (laughs) It's so basic. It's so simple, right? Like it's, yes, there was some freaky stuff that went on. You'd see weird things once in a while. But, I mean, I'm looking at it going, I love these vans. I don't know why they had to stop building them. They were so good. They made so much money. They really weren't terrible vans in all reality. I mean. And you always had a parking lot of known good parts. Like, you always had a parking lot of, I mean, it was just, it was great. You could jump in any one of them, take the customer for a drive, show them that it shifts the same as yours, makes the same noise. Like, you know, it's just unfortunately that's a $20,000 van, right? Like, you know. So, how do you so find many the steering gears? Yeah, so many steering gears. They were they were greedy though, eh? They paid so good. Oh, they paid. What was it? I think it was like two and a half hours, including tow, under yeah. warranty, and paid like four and a half hours outside of warranty without the alignment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I did a solid gold dance every one every time I got a freaking customer pay one. See guys, I'd see guys fist fight for them, like literally. Oh, yeah. just like you know, power steering, give it to me, right? Like, you know, because it might just need a reservoir, but if it was under warranty, it was getting a rack and a reservoir, right? And because, I mean, the rack well, the, paid. The, the, the cooler. Yeah. Oh. For the, for the vibration. Yeah, yeah. The ones well, that didn't have the cooler. That was so stupid. That really <laughs> this was. Let's, let's get rid of this metal line and give you three feet of hose. That'll take care of your vibration. Yeah. Oh, and but don't get the snow on it because then, like, look out! That sucker's gonna like you'll be towing it in because it'll it'll blow the thing apart. I can remember the first one. Then they came in and this, it was this, those hoses would split on that cooler, and you're like, "What is doing this?" And you'd put those two stupid ones in that they gave you for that first recall, and you change them out all day long. We do six, seven of them by lunch, and you know, bleed the air out of it. Blah blah blah. Ship it down the road. Come back in three months later. Those same hoses put again. They're like, okay, so now you got to put this big long loop. What a junky system, right? It was all. I swear, I said it all the time. It's because when they switch from power steering to fluid to ATF, when that's in the the cold climates, it doesn't like it, right? It's not the best power steering fluid. And as, since it's funny because now as I've started to work on some GMs, Equinoxes train, trains and stuff, I've seen similar issues with their power steering when they're running ATF in it, when it's cold, it gets noisy. Uh, it wants to blow the lines off. And I remember the first time I was running one, I'm like, oh, this is like deja vu all over again, right? It's just, it's cold temperatures, ATF, and blowing up transmit or power steering. It was great. I don't remember GMs ever having an actual ATF. They yeah. had the clear fluid, but I don't think that was actual, like, ATF viscosity. 20... Trying to think of the train I had that I just went through. They actually introduced us. There's a bulletin for colder weather power steering fluid, and they want you to take out essentially what's the ATF and put in this other power steering fluid, which is looks more like like traditional power steering. But yeah, what was in there at least, which for my now again I don't know we're not the original owners of it, but it looked like it right. had never been 
touch or service, it had some type of ATF in the power steering. So could have been wrong. I mean, before it might have been an up north thing for you too, because of the temperatures. Yeah, yeah. I just more I think about it. You know, I like give me an old Saginaw pump with like the the reservoir <laughs> on the back that used to rot out right on the caravans, but they never always just changed because they were rusted and leaking. And then they went to that damn aluminum thing, and it was it was just junk. How do you find um? Is Mer- so Mercedes electrically? How's that to work on? Not too bad. <clears throat> Their wiring diagram took a little getting used to, mm-hmm. but once you understand how it works, it's not like that track style. Yeah, but okay. when you're actually in star wiring, is what they call it. It's actually really really kind of cool because mm-hmm. um, you can look up <clears throat> so their scan tool the Zentry basically yeah. you, you do all your, your guided tests with that scan tool if you have some sort of issue fault code you do the test with that Zentry and it tells you step by step what to do if you need to take part anything and stuff like that and you can go to the wiring diagram and they give you like why 110 is this component you go to the wiring diagram drop down go to why 110 and then you can find out where that component is, uh, connector views sometimes uh, for it. And like, it's it's actually pretty cool now that I've gotten used to it a little bit. It was a little overwhelming the first week or two. I've heard people say that like, it's almost like they built their whole idea of the service information around the scan tool. You know what I mean? In terms of this, the scan tool is the platform, like is, is taking the place of your laptop and it's kind of syncing everything together, which... I mean, you know, everything is tablet based, sure, like even your snap on scanner. But I talked to some of the guys that work on a lot of that Euro stuff, and they're like, yeah, you really, if you're not using a Zentry, you're really behind with how fast you can get some of this stuff navigated. You'll still find the information, but you're, you're at a disadvantage. Cause you hear some people talk about like the Mercedes wiring being really, you know, lots of problem areas, but you're not, you're not seeing a lot of it. Problem areas? Probably in the older stuff, but mm-hmm. I don't see a whole heck of a lot of the older stuff. I mean, yeah. the oldest thing I've worked on is a 2000 E class that looks like I just I just finished it up Monday, and it looks like it sat for five years and they drug it straight out of the farmyard and brought it to oh. us, and uh, and now it's back, of course, because the radio quit working after the service that we did to it even though all I did was an oil change and charge the AC and put brakes on it. <laughs> but now the video stopped. That's a comeback. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course it's a comeback. So well, of course. Yeah. Can you still get a radio for it? I don't know. I haven't looked at it yet. It's back burner for me at this point. You want to whine about your 23 year old vehicle that looks like it sat for six years. It, it's going to take a minute for me to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How is the shop? Is it a big shop? About 20 some odd bays. It is big. Um, most of them are all in ground. Uh-huh. Uh, there's uh, two, two drive on lifts for the sprinters, uh, 15K, two post for the sprinter, and then we have the alignment rack. Otherwise, everything's all in ground. Uh-huh. Uh, my other lift is the EV lift. Oh, okay. Because apparently we had to have at least one lift that was certified with Mercedes to do EQ batteries and stuff. How do you like the sprinters? I don't mess with the sprinters. No way. Nope. 
this this dealership through everybody I've I've talked to, we have two Sprinter techs there, and they are actually, from what I've been told, they are some of the one of the top five, top three Sprinter techs in the U.S. So they get all that. They must drink a lot. Uh, probably, I have no idea. Amounts of alcohol. I I can remember when them like you could probably remember too the Sprinter days when when they were. With Dodge, right? With Chrysler, mm-hmm. and, Freightliner, uh, and Ram Sprinter, and all that fun stuff. I hated those stupid things. I went on one training course for those. And I was like, and they were pretty. I want to say that was probably 2008 when I was on the course, and uh, I was in the classroom, and it was like I hadn't hardly worked on them because I just changed dealerships, and the dealership I'd left, we didn't have the Sprinter franchise. The one I'd moved to, we did. So they sent me on this course, and I'm sitting there, and these guys are talking about all these, you know, blah, blah, what they fix on them. This thing's a turd. Like, I mean, the one I'd seen back in our shop, the wiring diagram wasn't even correct. Like, it was not accurate at all. It was it was a nightmare back in the day. It's probably better now, but they always said it was because what they actually got into production versus what got published was like there was a big lag there, I guess, right? But I didn't, I didn't stay at that dealership long enough to get really proficient on it. I was just like, I didn't, I, you know. We have two Chrysler dealers in the Des Moines area, and they flat out refuse to work on Sprinters. They all get sent to us. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, and our stuff hooks right up to it because hmm. it's just a Mercedes platform with Dodge badging on it. Yeah. Yeah. The last one I saw was a a Sprinter RV that came into when I worked at the spring the truck shop uh-huh. and it was the same thing it had a transmission issue and they went over to the Dodge dealer and the Dodge dealer looked at it and went they said oh it won't fit on our hoist it would fit on the hoist but the guy didn't want to work on it because it was an RV uh-huh. and then so they wound up at the Mercedes dealer and the Mercedes dealer took care of them with I can't remember if it it called back I don't know if it needed a complete transmission or it might have just needed that plug right that always Oh yeah, right. And 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 the customer was happy, but I'm just thinking back then. It's like to be that mechanic and to be able to say, "I don't want to work on it because it's an RV." Like, I've I've worked on a ton of RVs. Do I like it? No, but that's not even to me. That's like that's like a boss. You can't even call it an RV. It's just a little thing, right? Like, you know, we get we have giant buses at my shop. So when people say like, "I don't want to work on RVs," I'm like, you should see the buses we work on. They're huge. So the, the Ford dealership I was at the last time I was there before this last time, mm-hmm. I I did all the RVs and stuff and the bigger stuff because everybody refused. I'm the I was the only one that knew how to use the alignment rack and use it on the truck lift aside yep. from the alignment rack and stuff. And after I left there, I come to find out that they were refusing to work on any alignment or front end stuff with RVs because they couldn't align it because they had nobody to do it because nobody else wanted to do it. That was going to be my next question at this Mercedes dealer. Are you guys going through the same, you know, we hear it all the time, technician shortage. Like, are you at full capacity? Like you say, you got 20 days. Have you got? Uh, we've got, let me count in my head real quick. We've got eight, we have nine techs, including the mobile tech and then the two sprinter techs. So nine, and then so- one of them's a hourly guy. And so he does most of the little oil changes. Yeah. Like the ones that don't want the A and B services and stuff like that to change the oil and get me the hell out of here. Or, um, you know, you know, Lithia, 
the giant corporation. That's what owns us. Okay. So, uh, you, you buy this iLife package. It's a lifetime oil change package and stuff like that. So those vehicles that come in for the whole three tenths free oil change, they go to him. Yeah. yeah. Essentially. That, uh, that Nissan dealer that I was at, <laughs> he built his, or he tried to build. Really, what he did was he tied a rope around his neck and threw it in the lake with it because it killed him. Was he? Tr- he tried to, to patent that was the lifetime oil change thing. And I was like, I remember doing the interview. And I remember sitting there. And it was a weird interview because it was long interview. And I had the service manager, the fixed operations manager, the general manager. And I think the sales guy walked in at some point as well. And I'm looking at them all, and it's this big, shiny oak table. You know, the only person that's there is not is the owner. And I'm like, so how does this free oil change for life thing work? Does it really make you any money? Or I said, because I would think it would attract the worst clientele that you would want on any product line, high end or not, right? It's You start selling people the idea that something should be free. It's going to be really hard to ever get them to pay for anything ever again. And they're like, oh, no, it's great. It's driving sales. And it didn't It didn't drive nothing. It drove him right out of business. We had so many, dis- we had so many disgruntled customers. Now I'll get to why that is. We had so many disgruntled customers inside of the two years that I worked there that he, he essentially lost it all. He, he couldn't afford to. Because what he would do is he would write up his own contract. It wasn't from Nissan. It was his own contract that said, the oil change is free if you perform other maintenance. That was the part that nobody ever read, right? When they're buying the car, the sales agreement, they never read it. The salesman, of course, they didn't fully disclose that, right? They're just, all oh, your maintenance is all covered. Your oil change is free, right? <laughs> so what would happen, John, is they'd come in and it's like, okay, so it's 40,000 kilometers on your, you know, little Versa here. You, you need a brake service and, uh, Nissan was great. They they tried to sell you brake fluid flush every twenty thousand k, because it's dot four, right? It's much more hydroscopic. You got the exact same way, right? So you'd get customers come in. And it's like, oh, I thought all my maintenance was free. No, your oil change is free. Okay, well, I just want to do the oil change. So after they were like in for like four times, and they tried to sell them other work, and they didn't get it. And they, you know how that would go because the customer would be like, no, I got a guy that does everything else. So just, just change the oil, jerkwad. He would, he would void the contract because it was a contract that they signed it when they bought the car. Well, we wound up on the news. It was, it was, it's, it's, <laughs> if you like, just, if you want to go fire up the old interweb and look up the Google machine, Kingston Nissan oil changes for life. You'll get some pretty interesting reddit is had a wicked thread forever but yeah we made the news it was that people were that po'd and it 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 lost it cost them everything it really did so i was when you said they got the you know free oil changes for life um it was the same thing he rolled it into the price of the car but then he would void the contract if you didn't so the funny thing is we'd have people come in that's like well, what do I need to buy to get my next oil change for free? Because they're starting to get upset, right? Well, you need to buy an air filter. Well, how much is an air filter? 18 bucks. Okay. All right. I'll buy the air filter. Well, John, the next time they came in and got another oil change, they had, they bought another air filter. So we'd take them out. They'd only been in there like 5,000 kilometers, like six months. In the trash, it would go. Brand new Nissan air filter in there. Customer keeps their oil change for life. 
this went on for like five years at that dealership, two that I was working on it. I just shook like, I'm no dealer owner, but I've been seeing some things. I've been around some places. This can't possibly work. And it didn't work. It did not work. Between that and the, the warranties that he would write up and sell that were his own third-party warranty, it was terrible. It was awful. It's Did just, you guys up there have the lifetime powertrain warranty with Chrysler when they see, were doing that? And I would talk to people back in the day, and they would talk about how I heard how it was in the States for Chrysler. Guys hated it. We didn't I, – I don't know if they said it was because of the weather or something, like we're extreme climate now – in Alaska, I would think is more extreme than us, and that's the U.S. and and they would have got lifetime oil changes, but or lifetime warranty powertrain. But how did it work? Was there was it just like an extended warranty, and after so many miles, you still had to pay for deductible or no lifetime? You so bought you that. You bought that lifetime powertrain warranty when you bought that vehicle brand new. Yeah, lifetime. There's still. Uh, there was a guy that had an 04 or not an 04, uh, 09 Ram when they were still doing the lifetime. Yeah. And uh, it, the last independent shop I was at, he came in for services and stuff like that. He had just had an engine put in it the year before under a lifetime powertrain. I mean, I guess if, if corporate keeps paying them, right, the dealership, then I guess it's okay. It's good for the customer. Right. But I mean, imagine. An engine in 09 Ram to change and say, you know, let's 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 give it the benefit of the doubt and say 2015 is not the same labor as changing it in 2022, right? There's substantially more stuff, shenanigans. I don't, I don't, I don't know if the guy had to pay for, like, manifolds, because I guarantee you manifolds are probably roached out of it, if not already been replaced. But, yeah, and that's that's a Chrysler thing, though. At that point in time, I mean, it's not like these like these little dealers and stuff are doing stuff yeah. like that. It was it was a corporate thing, so yeah. you're kind of hard pressed to get away from not being able to adhere to those rules. As so a you were you were there, when, right? Like you were were you were working at Chrysler when that was going through as well? When the lifetime was going through, yes. Uh, yeah. Two thousand end of, essentially end of two thousand nine was when I left. Mm-hmm. permanently from Chrysler. And yeah. that was about six months after Fiat bought them. Yeah. And the Pentastar was just coming out mm-hmm. and all that fun stuff. Yeah, but, I want to say I probably left around, I didn't want to say probably 2009, about the same time I was starting to get out. And it's because like, I'd made that change from Ottawa to Kingston to come down to this dealer that had promised me the world. And uh, it was not the world. <laughs> It was not promised. It wasn't what it seemed, right? Like the grass is definitely greener because it grew right over the septic tank, as my friend Brian Pollock likes to remind me. It was bad, really bad. Like it was, it was a complete snow job. And you know, oh yeah, you're gonna come down here and you're gonna do X, Y, and Z, and and oh, we got a guy that does that, but he's slipping, so we need you here. Well, then when his hours took a major hit because all of a sudden there was two of us doing what he did. Yeah, we're sorry. You're not going to be able to get those labor ops anymore. You're you're killing it. You're making great money, and the and the cars aren't coming back. But like, he's he's complaining to the owner, and uh, yeah, and see, so why he complained to the owner was because the the dealership had been unionized at one point. Oh, 
And he was one of the four that crossed the picket line every day. So it really did not matter who came in to manage the dealership, who ran what. He was he was untouchable. So and not a good mechanic. That was a, that was the reality of it. He was not good at what he did, but he was looked after. And uh, so I didn't last there. So I'd given up everything, a really good position at the dealer I'd been in Ottawa, you know, moved back home to be with family, which was still the main reason to come down here. But it was, you know, you promised the sun, right? You promised the world. And then you realize you get into the dynamics of how a dealer that had gone through that, the union, because what had happened is the union had come in when they, when they brought the union in, it was voted in. It was brought in because everybody was fed up with how they're being treated. And I'm not pro-union just for the record. So the union came in. Uh, a lot of the guys benefited from the union coming in. They actually got some paid holidays and they, they got some hoist. They, most of them were working on the ground still in like 2000. Uh, they didn't they just weren't buying equipment. It's just a very crappy run, greedy cesspool. From what I hear allegedly. <laughs> and um, so what really irked me was that so that, People that had crossed the picket line still reaped the benefits when the union came in and got them paid holidays and, and they went from making like $12 an hour to like 20 something. But they still got looked after the four people that went across the picket line every day, right? For how many times it was out there. So long story short, they finally got enough of them to vote the union out. And they started with a whole, you know, employ me, employ me, employ me, employee, ben employee benefits plan profit sharing there was a whole hr department formed and you know a, a manual for as an employee and all that kind of stuff handbook because and it was always about you know we really want to look after you here because you're vital and you know what it really was saying is we don't want the union back so you know please sign the book and be happy because you know it cost them over apparently it cost them over a million to get the union out in terms of what they had to do right so right. I could see the union being a good idea to weed out like the little shit dealers that make everything look bad. Yeah. But then you have the dealers that overutilize unionization. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I mean, up here, it's not a thing. Like that's the only dealer that I've seen and heard of. And like I said, by the time I worked there, it was already gone, but it was still like this cloud that hung over the place like it had been there, right? They were famous for it. But there's other states that have it, right? Like uh, California for sure has um, all their, they, well, California's got their own bullshit in general, but I think they're all union. Uh, I yeah. think that's just required, but I'm not 100% on that. I know that everybody's, there's no flat rate in California, period. Yeah. But other states, I don't, I, I know there's a few of them out there that like offer union, but it's not required and stuff like yeah. that. So you can't, so that can't be a thing in certain states. It doesn't have to be. Uh, when, when you've heard people talk in the industry forever, like in the groups that you and I have been in and running, do you think it's a, would, is, I get the sense that you don't think it's going to fix anything or make it better. Or really, you're not pro-union, I don't think. Yeah. I'm not. I, f I feel like if, I feel like the, the, the person that hired you should be the one that should be making sure you're doing everything uh, correctly, you know, to the to your job. But in, in, the same, in, in the end, you got to make sure that you're doing everything to the best of your ability. Yeah. You know, if they, if they promise you the world, you got to try and give them the world. If they don't give you the world, then that's, that's on them. And 
Yeah. That's when you got to sit down and hash it out. I don't, I don't feel like we need some sort of lawyer outside to come in and do that for us. Yeah. That's, I think that's going to be kind of where the problem lies with how the industry is right now with the tech shortages and stuff like that. Everybody's looking for somebody to talk for them instead of them talking, but you get, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, and that's, the, go ahead. Uh, you get like, I don't know. You, you see a lot of like people that work for corporate dealers and stuff like that. Um, their biggest complaint is, you know, it's all, oh, it's corporate, it's Lithia, this or auto nation and blah, 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 blah. Personally, I, I've, I've only been with Lithia for, since April. I mean, yeah, there's corporate things there, but in the end, it's all management. Like my service manager is awesome. Uh, right. My shop foreman's awesome. He's cool as hell. He's more than, he's been there for like 15 years yeah. since before Lithia owned him. And I mean, they just, everybody works well together. And the general manager, he's always in the shop talking to people and stuff like that. He's, He's like, this is what we have to do to make everything good. Like, then we'll spend the money to make make it good. He yeah. said in our last shop meeting, the one that we've had that since I've been there, he's like, personally, he's like, I think we're doing great as a dealership. But you know, this is what Mercedes wants. This is what Lithia wants. This is what we got to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but he's not like, you know, digging it into our skulls. This is what we got to do. Like, you guys are doing your job. We think you're doing it great. You know, but this is what they want. This is what we got to give them. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just a Mercedes mentality. I don't know. Cause this is the first corporate, well, not the first corporate, but this is the first big time corporate dealer I've yeah. ever worked for. Up here, it's so different, right? Because I can't say that any of them are corporate. Like <clears throat> it's more about certain dealer groups within the province, you know, own a lot of dealers. And, um, but they tend to let the dealers operate still as, their own entities, right? Like they'll have a management team that'll come in and um, when one gets acquired, we'll tend to bring this team in, coach everybody on what's new, what's stayed the same, what's different, and do some of the hiring and the firing through that process. But they tend to leave them alone. Like if, if it was working good before they took it over, they just leave it alone because it was obviously working, right? It's about the people that are there are making it work. There's like you said, there's a relationship. Somebody's been there 15 years. They they've got a rapport with everyone else that's working there, right? The customers are are familiar with that person. But I have heard some nightmares. I've seen some nightmares too when they get bought, where like all of the management is gone, and uh, you know, I, that's been the uh, what I've seen a lot of the time is the techs are normally the safest people in that when it happens. You know, <clears throat> I'm not. You see all the time guys talk about that the industry needs a union, and and I would have said probably five or six years ago, I would have been, you probably could have swayed me to be that. Now, as I've started to network with more people and especially the industry is not going to have a union from the sense that there's such a divide between, not a divide, but the dealers are going to operate one way and the independent shops are going to operate another, right? And I think that you just try and get a union that would work in both pretty hard. But I see that the union is not necessarily the fixed but more of these groups of people that are starting to say, okay, you know, this is how you make it better. This is how you charge. This is how we, you know, get on board with the newest tech. That's going to be, I think, a way better option for a lot of us than, than the union is. Most of the time, like the, when I was at that dealer, they used to say, and I'd, you'd ask questions, and if somebody was brave enough to talk about it because it was a very hush-hush word, 
They'd be like, all I ever did was keep the people that shouldn't have been here employed. But yet you'd go around the whole room and everybody would say that. But So if everybody said the same thing, who was the people that shouldn't have been kept? And I must have talked to them at some point, right? Like they're still here. That <laughs> we're, was we're all fired. We're just here because we can be. Yeah. yeah. It was, um, I don't know. It was a toxic, toxic place to work. So there's been a lot of them that have been toxic. I don't know if it's me or what. <laughs> Right? It might be. You know what they say after so many times, right? The common denominator is you. It could be you. I, um, like, have you ever worked in an independent? I can't remember. Yes. Yeah. When we, when we first met, essentially, in AT and stuff, uh, I was working for a franchise independent shop for, I had worked there for probably about five years. Okay. Cause I thought it was, and then it was like, I was in management with them too. I was running oh, okay. stores for them too, which sucked. Uh, yeah. Never again. <laughs> uh, I, I've always told anybody that says, "What well, if you want to be a service manager?" I said, "You give me one hundred twenty-five thousand a year plus commission. I'll talk about it." Right. It's probably still going to be a no, but I might think about it. Yeah. You don't want to hear all the grievances of all the techs all day long. I, you know what? Going up front means I have to talk to people. And you know what? I've talked to enough people running stores. <laughs> you know, and I have to be the guy that has to listen to their grumblings and try to put the stupid stories in there. Yeah. I, I'm out. I just, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I had, I had a hatred for, for the human race before I went into management. and <laughs> I didn't realize there was a new level and I found that level very quickly. <laughs> And that's what strikes me as so funny then that you work on, on Mercedes because, like, I'll go back to it. That type of customer in me just doesn't click, right? I don't I, – I have nothing in common with them, and it's very hard to to see where they're coming from, right? So so you have very little contact with them or – No, I don't talk to them at all. In some situations, I probably should. But uh, I had a ticket before the end of the day that I took, and I was like, I really don't want to stay here for – half an hour doing this update but I get paid three tenths for and blah 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 and I'm like looked at the next ticket it was two pages long with the dumbest little it was all warranty lines yeah and it was like a GLE it was a 23 GLE with like 9,000 miles on it and it was a 10k service and then something about the lights something about when the kinetics in their seats turned on the whole seat shakes and this and that and that and this and I was I showed my form I'm like you see this ticket? He's like, yeah, I saw that bullshit. Don't do that one. Like, I was not planning on it. <laughs> so they have a guy that they're going to give that ticket to, though. Somebody's going to take it. It wasn't going to be me. I already yeah. got a 23-year-old E-class in, in, on my shelf that I got to look at. I'm not about to deal with that. Yeah, I know. I We we were talking about this today, how, um, because, like, one of the guys that, you know, worked with me, it's a mix. Some of them have a dealer background and some don't, right? So sometimes when you talk about you've done the dealership thing, they, they look at you like, well, is it, what's it, is it really like what they say? Is it really as bad as what they say? And I tell them it, it just depends, you know? And I think sometimes people in the group, when they see some of the disgruntled people, like, like the episode that dropped on Tuesday with Colin, right? You look at that and go, well, that's just a disgruntled dealer tech. Well, no, that he's done both, right? He's worked in both. He's just disgruntled about how he's been treated at both, right? And uh, it was it's, was poignant for me, some of the stuff he said, 
But, you know, people have this fascination that they've never worked flat rate or they've never been in a dealer. It's this, and I can't really say like that it's all bad. I've worked, I've had good experiences at them. It's just eventually it seems like you, there's a, there's a trajectory to it. You come in and I don't know whether they give you some really good work. So you get your feet wet, you get your confidence up and then you start to get that, you know, really stuff that doesn't pay, not effective. And I don't know if that's what always sours me or if it's just the, the politics of realizing that there's always going to be good work and bad work. But when they start to give you more of the bad than the good, it can really kill any enthusiasm you have to come to work that day. Right. Cause it's, and that's the thing. I think people, if you've never seen the politics side of it or the unfair dispatch side of it, you don't really know. You just look at it, the numbers, right? But I say it all the time. It's like, Oh, well, I had a great week. I had 80 hours. Okay. There's some guys that 80 hours is a great week. There's other guys that 40 hours is a great week. It all depends on what everybody else in the shop is making. And that's what pisses people off when you talk about it because it's like, well, you shouldn't matter what everybody else, you shouldn't be worried about what everyone else is. Mm, If I have to be here six days to make 50 because I'm doing high, low diag, and he turned 80 and just because he did flushes and breaks all day long. And and we're, that's the other thing. And we're all paid the same hourly wage you right. know, when you reach whatever certain level. That's a very different thing. That screws with your, you know, that's political BS is what it is. And that's what I, when people say, well, I don't, you know, I think it's all disgruntled. And why would you be unhappy if you made 50 or what? Well, because if he made 80 and he didn't have to even, you know, Think about hardly. right, just like hook some machines up, flush some fluids. That's that's a different mental drain on you when you've been like, you know, like that ticket that you just talked about, two pages long of nine nine thousand miles on the car, two pages long of squeaks and rattles and you know lighting issues and stuff like that. And they all could be legit concerns. They could all require you know substantial time to go in duplicate figure out what's wrong, contact tech line, what needs to be done. Where if you just so, if you dupe them into thinking you're really stupid and you're not going to be able to solve that stuff, they're always going to just push some other lower skilled labor at that guy. And if, you know, you turn the hours out, look at, he's a great producer. That's the politics that I can't stand about the dealer and why I won't go back to one. Cause it doesn't matter what brand I've been on. That always seems to come up and, uh, you know, I think that's incentivized pay is always going to do that. They're always going to be able to manipulate the system some way. So, you know, I just, but I could, I can't imagine. Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I couldn't imagine doing the Mercedes thing. It just, those cars are cool, but you, like, you'd be surprised, man. It's actually, I mean, you get to some of the older stuff, like it just, it just dings in your head because you're like you're seeing the stuff like. Oh, I know this. I know this transmission back, you know, the LX days. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That you know, that, yeah. that that nag transmission, the rear ends and stuff, that's all Mercedes. Yeah. Um, Mercedes is what introduced CAN bus to Chrysler. Mm-hmm. The Crossfire, which we probably well, shouldn't I, talk about anyways, but I was just gonna say that. I can remember the first time I ever got in one, worked on one, drove one, I was like, This is such a Mercedes, right? Like the what was it? The door locks or the latches or something that was, what was that way back when it was like, it was air, air power. I'm thinking of, right? Like it was on either- the crossfires. No, not nothing was air powered on the crossfires. 
Well, maybe the SRTs had the uh, air air uh, shocks. Maybe I don't remember for sure. And and I was just like, that is a goofiest, like how they could ever. And then somebody's like, no, that's a Mercedes thing. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. They, but yeah. they took after they took after the SLK, mm-hmm. which or it could be the active body control, the hydraulic suspension. I, I don't think Crossfire's ever had them though. That's cool. I will not deny that that. ABC system and those SLKs and SLs and stuff. It's it's crazy cool. It's a pain in the ass to fix, but when you're bleeding it, it's actually really cool to sit there and watch. You're you're speaking a completely different language to me. I have no idea. Never. <laughs> I've seen them go by in traffic. Never mm-hmm. ever got them, So go it's, go uh, go do your you Google tube and sometime yeah. and look up look up SL. SL rodeo mode. That's that's the bleeding procedure for the active body control suspension, which is all it's all hydraulic. It runs off yeah. the power steering pump. It's cool to watch. It's when you set it up. Do you find like that the the labor times are pretty good? Like for what? The- for the most part, yeah. I mean, yeah. it hasn't been real terrible by any means, uh, warranty wise. Of course, customer pay is all data or Mitchell, we have all data. Uh, so of course I, if I'm thinking something's not quite right, then I'll look up our warranty time and, uh, you know, one and a half times it, if that's about the same as all data, cool. If not, I'm going to want to half times it. Yeah. I set up, I, I set up the hours for that ticket. We have, uh, you ever heard of auto point from Solera? No. It's it's uh it's like a ticket management system that works with our DMS also. So you go in there and you put your ticket number in there, your RO or your tag number, and then you can assign yourself to that ticket. Or if it's actually working correctly, <laughs> if you clock into that ticket in your DMS, it'll automatically assign you to it. And then you can change your status on there to tech working. And then you go in there, you do your inspection through there, you add your recommendations, and then you know, parts, you know, availability on front pads and rotors. Save that. My dealership pays two hours per axle to do brakes. It's always okay. pads and rotors. Yeah. Put your two hours in there, add that rack, complete it, and then you just go and change it to parts of price and availability, and then parts gets it. They put all that stuff in there, and as an estimate, goes to the advisor. Advisor will then email it, text it, call the customer, whatever, yeah. And then they can either go in there and click approve or not do this, or do that, and then off we yeah. go. It's, it's kind of cool, but it's a giant pain in the ass at the same time. I, I'm well, I'm still doing paper written work orders in my shop. Holy crap! We still we still do it that way. Yep, yep. So I mean, we're still giving paper, but yeah, because you have to have, you have to have a hard copy. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, I I still write it all down. We don't have a. We don't have a system in ta- in place where you know I, I write in recs, and my handwriting sucks, and it always is going to suck. So I end up getting like a couple pages and writing it all out, and I you know I like to be detailed about what I'm what it needs and why, and uh, it's a lot. It I I didn't realize it until I started to think about it because I've been at the dealership where we had a similar system, and you just you know type it in, hit send, gone, right? Put the car back outside, get another car. This thing of the handwriting stuff and looking up the parts and everything, it, it adds a substantial amount of time. I never realized it until now how much. Yeah, it's it's uh I remember doing the handwriting days. I, <laughs> I wish I wish that I wish they'd get a system 
but that got out of point. I don't know how much it costs. Yeah, so the paper writing thing and the and the looking up parts thing, I never appreciated how much time that added to the actual job. Now when I have to do it versus more. I mean, we we had it down at the dealer. You probably did too. Where you, even when it was handwritten, and it was kind of handwritten or send an email up. And then we were putting the car outside as we were waiting for approval, right? And we'd go get another car. With my situation here where we only have two hoists and they're one in front of the other, we have to be very strategic about what do we put in the front and what do we put in the back? Because you put a truck in the front and it, it's not driving out underneath anything. If you put a little car in the front, you can drive it out underneath the truck on the back hoist. Um, but it adds another ripple of like, how do I schedule my day, right? Like, and then, you know, when you order parts and you take it apart and it's the wrong part, that can screw you. Like we had that on a Volkswagen last week, pulled the struts out of it. Uh, and of course they were wrong. So that was a mad scramble. So we ended up having to call the customer with a car that was in the front and go, okay, like we can't get yours out. They're cool. They didn't mind. We have, we've got like five loaners. So, I mean, that really helps to, you know, people are like, cool, it's all right. I'm driving around in a loaner. The loaners are nothing nice. They're like uh, 2005, 2006, like Camrys. Right. But I mean, their Toyotas are reliable. The AC's cold. You know, the brakes work good. The radio works. We're happy. That's why I, you know, when people turn their nose up and you try to give them a loaner car and they're like, you're giving me what? Like, we've only had one person that came in and they complained because everything that we had in our loaner fleet didn't have like iLink. Couldn't, they couldn't link their iPhone to it. That, that, their daughter was very upset that the loaner, and I'm just like, well, that's a first world problem. I worked for an independent shop that had loaners, and they were yeah. all shit boxes. Yeah. I mean, they were piles of crap. They ran. They ran. I mean, they paid to make them run, but yep. they look like dog shit. Yeah. Ours are, we keep ours clean, and they don't have any dents or anything like that. And I'm like, there's no panel written off the side of it, or the, the bumper's not held on with, you know, tie straps or anything but i mean they're not they're faded paint cameras right like they they are what they are what uh what do you guys when you got a loaner for a mercedes what do you get a lot of like glas and glbs because okay. everybody's all about the suvs and stuff like that yeah of course i think all three advisors have an s-class for okay. s-class owners but i'm not entirely sure we also sell Maybox here and there oh so we have, oh. it's, it's essentially an S, an S class with a whole bunch of fancier shit. <laughs> That's, and we had, we had one that came in uh, a few weeks ago and a guy traded uh, his 21 Maybach for this one. It was actually a V12 too. So, I mean, it was a 200, $275,000 car came with uh came with a wine cooler in the back seat and center part and champagne flutes. Like crystal champagne flutes. I mean, it's it's insane. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was it was it's it's cool to see them, right? But it's like, dear God, I had a S five fifty that I did a service on and had to do a recall on, um, and I just got all the parts for the recall today, and they drive great. But yep. dear Christ, everything in the car in the interior was white. Yeah. And you can tell the guy really doesn't care because it's like fancy carpeting and it's a little brown from your shoes. There's scuff marks all on the door panel from getting in and out of it and stuff. And I mean, it's a $200,000 car. And like, you could just see 
scuff marks all over it. And I'm like, I could never end my life. Yeah. I know. It's not like that. I know. There's a reason I drive a Jeep because like, I don't mind if I, you know, if I, cause I mean, I, I jump in at lunchtime and drive to lunch and I'll have the same work boots on that I've had on all day. Right. And I don't stress if there's a little bit of oil on the work boot and it gets on the floor mat. Heaven forbid, that's the point of the floor mat. I can't even imagine $250,000 car. What I would have to do to, like, I, I just, yeah, I, I don't, I, the stress of that would get to me, you know. Those that's one G, thing. Those G-Wagons are insane, too. Well, that's what I was going to ask you the next thing. Like, what is that like to drive? They ride like dog shit. I'd rather drive a Wrangler. I swear to God, I, we, I, they, like my first week there, Chris, one of the techs that I was shadowing, he's like, we got a G-Wagon, a G63 to look at. So it's like the top end, 200 mm-hmm. some thousand dollar freaking Jeep. And he's like, go take it for a quick test drive and uh, warm it up because we got to do a service on it and stuff. And brought it in. I, I, he was like, so what do you think? I'm like, this thing rides like shit. Do they all do like this? And they're like, welcome to G-Wagon. Like, great. <laughs> well, you say, if it, you say it rides worse than the Jeep, then that's pretty friggin' terrible because, I mean, like, I own, a, I own a 15 Wrangler, and I think it drives pretty good. Like, I like it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean you, you expect a Jeep to drive like a, a, a Wrangler, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't expect uh, a 200-and-some-thousand-dollar Jeep. I mean, it looked, they look just like Wranglers, essentially. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that maybe that's just my mindset. And they just ride. Apparently, yeah. that's what they were was military vehicles, just like the Wranglers yeah. were. Yeah. Kim Kardashian had one. It can't be all that bad, right? I mean, that girl knows. I think she owns every single Mercedes out there. <laughs> she knows what's good for sure. If you got the money to blow, I guess do it. Yeah. I I I would like the, the, the opportunity again to... You know, that's what I, I like. That was one of the kicks, right? Is you get in when something's a brand new model and you get to drive it, right? And feel what it's like for the first time and compare it and all that kind of stuff. I miss that from from a dealership scenario. But uh, I don't miss the other political thing that goes on. You know, um, honest to God, the, the politics with Mercedes, like, you know, Mercedes-wise compared to like Ford and Chrysler, yeah, exponentially different. Unless I'm overseeing some bullshit, uh, it's just this is what they pay. This is what they don't pay. Get it in, get it out, figure it out. If this is what kind of test tells you to do. Put that on. If it doesn't fix it, then we'll just keep going on. And there's no like engines blown up. Engines blown up. They'll tell you if they want you to tear it down if it's a new enough engine or something like that. Yeah. Um, they don't. You don't have to go through tech line. The last thing they want to do is start a case with Mercedes tech line because they just, they want you to like microscopically look at every single thing on a view. And so it's like, they're just like, get it done. Do you find like, are you guys trying to hire and are you impacted by the shortage? Would you say in your shop? No, honestly. I mean, uh, Chris, the guy I mentioned beforehand, he's been there for eight years uh, I want to say he's a year younger than me and he even left for a couple of years to work for Audi okay. so he's been there for a while yeah Jasmine he essentially moved came from Bosnia and started working there and then left to go 
works someplace else and has been there back for 11 years now. A couple other guys have been there for about seven, eight years. So, I mean, hmm. I'm, not, I'm the newest guy, obviously. Yeah. So not the kind of typical turnover that you and I were used to back in the day. Mm-hmm. No. Of, of the domestic dealer, right? Where it seemed like you having a new guy. Back then, it was weird. It seemed like you were having a new guy like every six months. Mm-hmm. It was a watch thing. And, and I think I think that has to do with the fact that now there's the shortage. You know, I, I think people are just kind of, I think it's more patience on both sides, right? I think that uh, there's more patience of keeping the people that they have and investing some training in them because, you know, you can, the one post today they're talking about, oh, he's, he'd take an X amount of unpaid sick days, you know, not even sick, just scheduled days off. And what would you do? Would you fire him? And I made a comment like, yeah, I made the comment. It's like, well, you could fire him, but you already said that he's reliable otherwise. Like he doesn't miss a day unless he's telling you he's going to miss it and he does good work. Hey, go fire him. See what you get. And, you know, like we were joking in, in another chat about, well, at least he's letting you know he's not coming in. Right. Like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, as I get older like that, I'm to the point where I'm looking at my weather forecast for the next day in the summertime. I'm like, it's going to be a prime fishing day. I'm looking at the schedule and I'm already telling you, you know, tomorrow might be a sick day because <laughs> you want to see how sick I am going to my socials. If I'm holding up a fish, it was a sick day. Like it was really sick. Right. I mean, that's this just me coughing on the fish. Yeah. Exactly, right? Like, ah. But I mean, people have got to understand that the new generation is, I mean, we don't, we don't live to work, right? We work to live. It's, it's funny. What, do you have any words of advice for the young people that are coming in? For somebody like you and myself that have that have been around and like, if you could go back, would you do anything different, John, is what I'm asking? And then any words of advice? Honestly, fine. If you, if this is something you want to do, the, the biggest thing is to find a place that has somebody that will take you under your, under their wing and show you, not just throw you to the wolves. I don't think any, I, I never really thought this beforehand. Um, especially now, I don't think the schools are fully teaching these kids how things work nowadays. And it's, you need to find yourself a place that can give you an apprenticeship, essentially. Start out as a loop tech that you could be under somebody or work next to somebody that can show you how to do the basic things or the more things that create knowledge. Because anything, anything nowadays, it's just beyond... It's out of the box. There's no plain, simple diagnosis yeah. to anything anymore. Yeah. And yeah. you got to have that out of the box learning. And I don't feel like the schools teach that or even implicate that in any sort of way. No, I think it's, it's, it's so different now, right? Like I think they're trying to make, you could go down a real wormhole there if you were to say that they're not even necessarily trying to teach them how to learn anymore. Right. They're just trying to, to pass them through. But, um, for, do you regret? Like, I guess you can't say you've moved around a ton. Do you ever regret moving as many shops as you've moved through? Yeah. So, like, I guess what I'm saying is, do you regret that maybe you just you feel like if you'd have just stuck it out at one of them a little longer, it might have paid off? Or do you do you feel like it's been to your benefit to try the different brands that you've tried and and get the exposure. Do I regret some of the jumps that I have done? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I worked for the one independent. Uh, for five years, but that was off and on because yeah. 
they just run me ragged. I get sick of it and then go someplace else. And uh, one of the shops I went to was a buddy of mine started and he ended up messing it all away. And I ended up shutting that shop down. And of course that shop called me the day I was taking, I was closing up everything, pulling everything out. And then they're like, you want to come back? Okay. You know, and then, uh, it was like with Ford dealer, I was just at new management. Just, yeah. I mean, I, my hours got almost cut in half that I was making. I was the top earner in that shop and the owner was even asking the service manager, why is his hours so shitty? And he's asking me why, well, Hey, you, you hired a guy to take all the oil change upsells and do all the flushes, which we never really did. The oil change guys did the flushes, but brakes, tire on it, tires. Yeah. You got one guy doing all that stuff. And then I was doing all the alignments because nobody really wanted to do them except for one other guy. And now that guy's doing all the alignments. And then I'm stuck mm -hmm. doing warranty alignments. Yeah. I'm like, do you not see? And he's like, well, I'm not going to change anything. Well, okay. And then finally I got fed up. I'm like, fuck you, I'm out. Yeah. And then, well, Right. What was it me? What I do? Like, do I need to? Do you want your alignments back? I'm like, seriously. Yeah, why? <laughs> why are you asking when I've already given you my notice? Right. Yeah, and hey, we can't talk this out. Like, no. Well, what are you gonna get? I, I said essentially, if if everything goes right, I'm gonna get you know this amount of this amount an hour. Well, I could do that, but we can't tear you like everybody else if I'm gonna give you that. No. I mean, I'm yeah. not, that's what, that pay was not top pay. They were, Mercedes was happy to give me that. I'm probably, probably the under, most underpaid guy there, but you know what? I got what I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah we, but, we talk about that yeah. a lot, right? And it, it seems to always come up. And I was just actually talking to my friend Noah before I logged in with you. It's such a different, what is a good amount varies so much across the country, right? From state to state and even, community community sometimes within the same state you know you see guys and you know everybody's popping up like the podcast to drop collins made like you know six figures you know he talks about he made six figures so there's a lot more texts that are saying now oh yeah i make six figures i you and i can remember back in the day when the group started where that was like if somebody said they made six figures you were like bs right like you might have hit 75 you didn't hit those six Right. But now it's, it's a lot more, you know, people are hitting it. And I think it's, it's a combination of a couple of things. I think that some of the work is getting, I don't want to say easier, but there's more of the work that you can really turn the hours out with. Right. If you're, and then I think that some of the diag, I think some of the diag has gotten better in terms of paying better, or if it doesn't pay at all, you it's, it's maybe faster the process to get it right. Like, I and I think what's really what I noticed my last tenure is that like the dealers were better about now if the customer came to you and said it was intermittent they didn't make you waste a bunch of time trying to duplicate it right I can remember my advisor where if the customer came in and said it was intermittent you were still expected to try and like dab a part on it that you thought might be it or spend a bunch of time trying to drive it around trying to and now I, I don't see them doing that and I think it's just because as they've cracked down on restrictions for parts or not going to pay it if it doesn't fix it, that claim, 
I think it's just been more understanding. Dealers have been more understanding. Like, well, if we're not going to get paid the claim, as much as we'd like to help Mrs. Smith out, we're not going to do it because it's a lose-lose, right? Nobody's going to be happy. Well, Mrs. Smith's going to be unhappy. And but you know, I just, I think, and then that's the other thing we don't talk about is the part shortage is really, I think, helping. We can almost, some places I think are using that as an excuse to go, uh, uh, we might not even be able to get to the bottom of what's going on here with your vehicle, man, because... You know, electrical parts are impossible to get. Yeah. So I think people are just accepting it now with this, this post COVID thing that, uh, you know, you might have supply chain issues for your vehicle and we're not saying there isn't a legitimate complaint that you have. We just don't know if we can get the part to fix it. So, yeah. Any advice for the, for the young people coming in? But through school and stuff like that, or like tooling and, you know, how do you approach that? Uh, if, if you're in the dealer environment, figure out what the basics are that you, if you're in an independent and you're new, get the basics for oil changes, brakes and stuff like that through the big three, I would say for sure, you know, yeah. but you're going to have to have Torx Allen's regardless at this point in time anymore. Tooling. If you're at, if you're with a dealer, know what your basics, you know, sockets, wrenches, stuff that you're going to need because that's that's basically all you're gonna really need. Yeah. Independent wise, there's a reason why I have an eighty four inch epic with a locker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you acquire a lot of things over time. Yeah. Have you got your own scan tool? Uh I did. I lost the dongle. Okay. So now I'm in the market for another one yeah. because I, I can't get another I can't get a dongle for it. <laughs> I um because the reason I asked is I just talked to a young tech today. Um, it's tonight actually before getting online, she just bought a Soulless Legend, I guess, from Snap-on. Legend probably be the last of the Soulless line. Yeah, so I it is. It's Apollo the last now. Yeah, I think it's Apollo yeah. now or some stupid shit. Yeah, uh, Zeus Plus and Apollo. Yeah, because I, I have I have my own Zeus now, which is doesn't get the use it should, but whatever. Um, but she went and bought her own scan tool, and she works at a Chrysler dealer. And I'm like, are you not getting training on on whatever their scan tool was at the time? I couldn't even tell you what the name of it is. Y-Tech. But um, is it still Y-Tech? It's is still it? Y-Tech. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I said, are you not getting trained on She's like, not a lot. But she says, I also, you know, there's some off-brand stuff. She doesn't own a Chrysler, right? She's got a, what she say? I think she's got a Hyundai and a, and a Camaro. So she needed a tool. So she got the tool. It's a lot of money though to sign up from snap on credit at a, such a young age. I wish, I wish I hadn't done that when I was way, way, way back in the nineties and walked on the truck the first time, spent $3,000, walked off the truck, like, you know, signed up snap on credit, right? impact gun, impact sockets, screwdrivers, wrenches. you know, it was, it was, yeah, if I could do it all over again. <laughs> Uh, some of the most used stuff I definitely buy snap on. Yeah. I, I do buy Maco here and there, but uh, like my Maco guy I had here, he retired and then we got a new guy after six or eight months of waiting. And then he gave up. And so we got, I got a kid at this dealership and stuff, but he really is like, he's probably five years younger than me. He's been doing it for a few years. But it's like, it almost seems like just a storm waiting to happen that some bad shit's going to happen and I can't rely on him type of thing. So 
who do you typically have anywhere? Snap on. It's kind of gear wrench. You could go gear wrench. The parts stores will warranty that out for you. But some of my stuff's slowly turning into gear wrench that I don't want to spend a million dollars on. I say all the time, you guys in the States, you don't know how lucky you are that you have Harbor Freight. And I know people are going to roll their eyes. But I mean, like, I was just, when I when I came back from from uh, Lucas's at the beginning, well, for the fourth, I was down there drinking moonshine and watching fireworks. Remember when I called you? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I remember that. 20,000 voice texts that I had. <laughs> oh, dude, I was drunk. But um, when I came back, I stopped in, um, going back from Syracuse, I flew into Syracuse, uh, stopped in Watertown. It was the first time I'd seen the Icon stuff from Harbor Freight in person. Like, I actually put my hands on it. It's good stuff. It, really it good. It does seem like very good stuff. I know a few people that use a lot of their wrenches and ratchets and stuff like that. They seem to like them quite a bit. Yeah. It was... um. That was the moonshine that had me rambling. That's what I'm gonna. That's my official story. I was, oh dude, I was, I was feeling no pain that night. That was a good night. So did you try smuggling some moonshine over the border? So they told me how to do it, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't try it. Didn't try it. I'll tell you what I did have. Up here we can't. So you know Black Rifle Coffee, right? Yes. So up here under my fantastic prime minister justin shout out to justin trudeau dick black rifle coffee is is a prohibited thing up here because it's black rifle right it's assault rifle so you can't get black rifle coffee well while i was down there lucas's tech eric sprague good buddy of mine says oh you gotta try this coffee so he ends up giving me i figure like okay he'll, he'll give me a bag of coffee he gave me four bags of their AK espresso stuff is the best coffee I've ever drank in my life. And I love coffee. I drank a lot of coffee. So I had four more bags. And like I had, I had weight in my suitcase coming back that I hadn't intended to have. Right. So then they're like, I'm like, how do I get this coffee through? Then I'm thinking that moonshine was really good. Like I could probably get some before I come back and then, you know, get a couple water bottles, right? Dump the water out, pour the shine. And you can't tell the difference unless you shake the shit up. And then I thought, no, you don't want to be pissing around with TSA and then decide why is you why are you bringing four liters of water bottle back in your suitcase? Like they might have thought that was pretty. Yeah, it was good stuff. It was really good, really good. Like he had some good stuff on the table to drink, and that was that was the best thing I drank that night by far. And he had some really good bourbon on the table, and that was the best stuff on the table for me to drink anyway. Like it was it was delicious. You ever get a chance to try it? Try it, because it's. Uh, oh, I've had I've, moonshine. I've had Tennessee yeah. moonshine before. That'll, that'll put you on your ass real quick, fast, and in a hurry. I didn't. It's. It did. Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, you got to remember. I by the time I was talking to you that night, I'd had quite a bit. Now, quite a bit for me. They all talk like, "Oh, we drank a quart a night, right?" That's how they talk. Yeah, but for for you know a Canadian virgin to this stuff. Yeah, it had me on my ass. I was talking to The room was spinning. It was feeling pretty good. But yeah, it's it's a good time. If you could ever get to AST, you should really come down and do it. If you could get away, because it's a blast. I would like to try some of that to do that sometime. Uh, Wrenchway's doing some big thing, but I think the closest one is in like Minnesota. Thought about talking to my service manager, see if he was going to go do that, and see if maybe yeah. I could take along or something. But the 
Yeah, like I when I went last year, it was literally like, and that was the first thing I'd ever done anything like that in my life, right? And uh, it's so cool. It's literally life changing to be around those people that think like that and, and do what they do. Like, it's one thing to sit in the classroom and take the, the class, you know. Like, I I sat through a class with Brenda Steckler, sat through one with Keith Perkins, like genius level, right? And then, but to meet all the people. Like I'm at Scanner Danner. I'm at Paul, right? Like I, we, you and I have been talking to Paul for a long time, right? And and everything else, but to meet him in person, coolest thing ever. Like it was just, that, it was Mar- Super Mario met him. Like just the coolest people, man. The coolest people. The so. the sweeps the in TTG the thing there the giveaway they were doing for the year of Scanner Danner premium. Yeah, yeah. And the yep. gift card. I was actually one of the recipients of that. Oh, right on. Good for you, man. So I used yeah. the crap out of that, and then I got yeah. busy, and I didn't utilize it near as much towards the end as I should have. But, I mean, still great stuff, regardless. Amazing. And he's such a he's such a funny guy when you sit there and, and shoot the bowl with him and everything else. He's, and a ton of stories, too. A eh? great guy for that. Like, he's just, you know, it's a blast, man. I wish you could make it, but no. Hopefully someday. Hopefully someday. Years ago, me and uh, Sean Miller were talking yeah. about vision in mm-hmm. Kansas City, and uh, my the shop they wanted to, they wanted to go and stuff, and they wanted to try and get see who wanted to go and such, but it was only going to be on the weekend. So when yeah. I was looking at all the classes, all the classes were like not beneficial to, me. and I'm like, well, what would you guys pay if I went the whole entire Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and everything? And they're like. Well, yeah, but we're not going to go till, you know, Friday. We're not going to leave till Friday. I'm like, I'll drive up there and I'll get my own hotel room and everything. I said, if you guys are willing to pay for the whole, the whole spiel. And me and Miller talked about just splitting a hotel room and going for the whole weekend. It just never came to fruition on either one of our ends. But he said, I was talking to him in the chat today. He's super busy. He's always busy. He's killing it, right? Like he's doing so well. But I mean, yeah, he 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 stays busy. I mean, I and that's the thing. I'd love to get him too. I keep saying, you know, if I go if I go and get surgery on something, then I I have to take like time away from work. I'm just gonna jump in the jeep and throw a tent in the back of it, and I'm just gonna hit the road. I'm just gonna travel everywhere. You know, I'm be like, okay, I'm gonna camp in in your driveway for a couple of nights, then I'm gonna go somewhere else and hang it with this person for a while because. You know, there's been so many people that I've I've got this relationship now with, like you and Sean and Eric and David and Bill and uh, like so many people, right? That you know, Dave and Sean and I could I could spend a year, you know, living out of, a, out of the back of my Jeep, just just hanging out, getting to know these people, see what they do day to day, right? Because that's a fascinating thing. Like we've all talked for so long, we all know each other. I think pretty good. It'd be so cool to just see the day to day. You know what I mean? Plus, you could probably sneak moonshine over across customs instead of TSA a lot easier. (laughs) Well, think about the different states I could sample it. Wow, yeah. Tennessee, Tennessee, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Kentucky probably has some moonshine somewhere. You'd probably be so drunk, you're happy you got your first OWI in Kansas. (laughs) Imagine that. Like pull him over. He's got Quebec, you know Ontario license plates on his on his Jeep. Like, well, we don't have to worry about him. He's probably not going to shoot us. 
Holy crap, is he drunk as hell. Look at him. <laughs> hey, if you could do me a favor real quick and like, comment on, and share this episode, I'd really appreciate it. And please, most importantly, set the podcast to automatically download every Tuesday morning. As always, I'd like to thank our amazing guests for their perspectives and expertise. And I hope that you'll please join us again next week on this journey of change. Thank you to my partners in the ASA group and to the Change in the Industry podcast. Remember what I always say, in this industry, you get what you pay for. Here's hoping everyone finds their missing 10 millimeter, and we'll see you all again next time. <laughs>